Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with y'all this morning. New configuration this morning, which personally, I must say, I like a lot better. Uh, Some new wine. Um, Pushing the rock forward just a little bit, you know, uh, moving forward. It's very exciting. Including our sermon series, we are moving forward, even though it might look like we're not, because I'm going to read exactly the same text uh, from Ephesians chapter 1 that I read last week, although last week... I focused attention largely on verses 3 through 6. This morning in the sermon, I'm going to focus attention largely on verses 7 through 10. So I would invite you, if you have a Bible or an iPad or a phone or whatever it is that you're pulling up, uh, to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and I am going to read from verse 3 through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this time of worship on this day would be to the praise of your glory because you are a glorious God who has lavished all grace upon us in Christ. We pray that we would experience that this morning. For the first time for some of us, anew uh, for some of us, but for all of us, Father, in ways that are transformative, both in our hearts and our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one of those beautiful uh, mornings in October. It was October of 2019. You know, it was one of those October days where it was a Saturday, uh, the the humidity of the endless summer of Houston, where there was like a little crack in it, you know, and you could see a light at the end of the humidity tunnel. Shannon and I had gotten up, and we were going to work out, and we were going to run some errands and spend the day together. And so we took my truck to the gym, parked in a parking garage, we went and worked out. And when we came back out, 
uh, I used the key fob to open the, unlock the door, got in the door, shut the door behind me, and there was a rattle in the door. I was like, wow, I must have left something in the, you know, in the cup holder down there. I looked, and there was nothing in the cup holder in the door, so I opened the door again. I shut it, and there was a rattle again. I was like, that's really weird. What is that? So I got out of my truck, and I looked at it, and that's when I saw it. There was a hole where the locking mechanism, you know, the place where the key actually goes in, which I had not used to get into my truck, was supposed to be. It had been shoved into the door frame of the door by somebody who was trying to break into my truck. They'd taken a screwdriver, they put it right there, popped it in. You know, they didn't get in, it didn't actually unlock the door, uh, and then they must have run away or something like that. But in October of 2019, I had a broken lock, you know, to my door, which was just a reminder at that moment of like the brokenness of the world and how things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But why am I telling you that story today? Well, because that lock has been broken since October of 2019 on my truck. Uh, in fact, you know, Brad Wright, one of the pastors of Christ the King who just recently became a pastor, the senior pastor and the church in the Woodlands, he's a car guy, Brad is. And so, you know, for about a year and a couple of months, every time Brad and I will talk, I'll see him at Presbytery, uh, we'll talk on the phone, he'll text me. At some point in that conversation, he's like, hey, did you fix that lock yet? I'm like, not yet. Yet, however... This has been a source of frustration to me for over a year because every single time in the daytime that I go to get into my truck and I would use the key fob to unlock it, I would see that hole where the locking mechanism is supposed to be and I would go, some knucklehead tried to break into my truck in October of 2019, you know. It was just this constant visible reminder of something that was broken and something that remained unrepaired. Now let's expand that just a little bit because I know that I'm not the only one. These days, the only thing that you have to do to experience broken things in this world, things in this world that are not the way that they're supposed to be, is wake up. You know, open your eyes in the morning and you're going to see it. You know, it may be actually that when you wake up in the morning, you wake up next to someone who feels like a stranger to you, a great and joyful love that somewhere along the line grew cold and grew dim. Maybe you experience that brokenness when you trudge to the office for the day and the office is still the card table that you set up in the corner of your master bedroom. Maybe you experience the brokenness of this world by a lingering loss of taste or a lingering loss of smell or a breathlessness that you get when you walk up a flight of stairs, lingering effects of an earlier bout with COVID. Or maybe it's something even worse than that. This world, living in this world, provides us ample evidence that things are broken and unrepaired. The question is, will it always be like that? Will it always be like that? And the Apostle Paul answers that question in Ephesians chapter 1. He answers it with an emphatic no. It will not always be that way. The world will not always be broken and remain unrepaired. It's going to be quite the opposite, in fact. The mystery of God, Paul says, the mystery of God is that all things will be redeemed in Christ all things, things in heaven and things on earth. 
Now, when Paul uses the word mystery in verse 9, he's not using that word like we usually use it. This is not like a Sherlock Holmes mystery where everything is unknown and there are just these clues that you have to put together to kind of solve it on your own. The mystery of God's will is not unknown to God. It is known to him. It is his will. It is a mystery because we don't know what it is until he reveals it in his timing. The mystery of God's will, as Paul tells us directly, is revealed to us. It is made known to us. So he uses that word mystery as something that has been hidden in the mind of God, but is ultimately revealed. This mystery, known only in the mind of God, but fully revealed in Christ, is that God unites all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Or another way to say exactly the same thing is to use the verbiage of verse 7. God redeems all things in Christ. Or if you want to make it even more shorthand, we could use the words of the song that we just sang a little while ago. God makes all things new in Christ. That's the mystery of God's will. He redeems all things in Christ. And when the text distinguishes things in heaven and things on earth, combined with what Paul has already said previously in Ephesians chapter 1 about the glorious gospel truths of election and adoption that we talked about last week, we see that this redemption has both a personal uh, level to it and a cosmic level to it. There is both personal redemption and there is cosmic redemption. So first, in Christ, there is personal redemption. Verse 7 pushes the glorious gospel freight train forward uh, on the tracks by repeating the words that are repeated all the way through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. When you know that, it's just that Paul, every time you see these words, Paul's taking another layer of this massive gospel onion and peeling another layer back, or he's, he's giving you another facet of this diamond of the gospel. And these words are in him. Every time Paul says it, it's like pushing this train forward of the beauty and the glory of God's grace. So last week we saw that we are chosen in Christ before the creation of the world and we are adopted in Christ into God's family. And here we see that in Christ we have redemption. The word redemption uh, means simply to rescue someone from a predicament that they cannot possibly rescue themselves from by a payment of a price. That's redemption. To rescue someone from a predicament that they cannot possibly rescue themselves from through a payment of a price. Now this was written in the first century and in the first century this word redemption would naturally have been understood in the context of that, uh, the, the ancient world's concept of slavery. When a slave to be set free would have to be purchased by someone, paid the price of redemption, and then after having done so, set free and released from their bondage. That's redemption. And this is what Jesus did for us personally according to verse 7. So let's ask a couple of questions of this redemption. First, how is it that we are redeemed? How are we redeemed? Well, Paul tells us exactly. 
In him we have redemption through his blood. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. The price that was paid in order for you to be set free was the very blood of Jesus shed on the cross. So what that means is that whatever it is that is holding us in bondage, whatever it is that we need to be freed from, that we cannot free ourselves from, must be serious. It really must be so dreadful, so dire, and so severe that nothing but the shed blood of Jesus on the cross could rescue us from it. So what is it? From what are we redeemed? We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. From what? Well, Paul tells us in his definition of redemption in verse 7 that it it is the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, interestingly, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he uses almost the exact same words, but he says that redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. Here he says the word trespass. It gets to the same point. The only difference is a matter of emphasis. To trespass is to go out of bounds. To trespass is to go to a place that is not lawful for you to go. It is in this context to escape the confines of God's word, uh, to disobey him, to rebel against his commands. And Paul tells us in Romans that to rebel against God is to subject ourselves to his judgment and his wrath. So here's the point. Ultimately... The predicament that we are bought back from by the blood of Jesus is not just our sins. We're not just bought back from our sins. It is ultimately the judgment and the wrath of God that is due us for our sins. That is what we are redeemed from. God himself, the judgment and the wrath of God. So we're redeemed by the blood of Christ from the wrath of God to what end? Well, the answer here is furtherance of the good news of the gospel. You are redeemed into full and unfettered relationship with God. Full relationship with God. And here's where the true beauty lies. Two critical things that are gifts to you come from Christ's redemptive work on the cross. The first is Forgiveness, as we've already seen. At every place that you have ever disobeyed or rebelled against God or will ever rebel against God, God forgives you. Every place. He does not hold those things over your head. He does not threaten you with them. He does not tuck all of those sins away in a chest somewhere to be sprung on you at some you know, the time that you are least suspecting of it. He does not do that. Jesus paid the full price for all of your sins. All of your sins, past, present, and future on the cross. But even though that is where many of us stop when we think about the good news of the redemption that we have in Christ, yes, we are forgiven, that's not all. That's not the end of the story. It gets even better than that, actually. Because you are not only forgiven, you are also restored to full relationship with God through, and here's that word again, through adoption as his son or his daughter. Remember, verse 7 flows naturally from verses 3 through 6 where Paul is talking about our adoption into God's family by the grace of Jesus. 
You see, the good news of the gospel is not only that your sins are forgiven. You know as a human being that you can forgive somebody but still hold them at arm's length, right? Sometimes it's wise to do that. You can forgive somebody but ultimately not trust them. You can forgive somebody, but ultimately not like let them back in. You can forgive somebody and not ultimately open the fullness of your heart to them. God doesn't do that. God forgives us and brings us close. God forgives us and restores us to complete and full relationship. He forgives you and he restores you. Now, last week I talked about, in an illustration, my wife's former attraction to scary movies. Um, We have both grown out of that. She has kind of grown out of that. We don't watch them very much anymore. And now, you know, know, I'll tell you why. One of the reasons that we don't watch scary movies, and I don't know how y'all are, but like, you know, life is stressful enough, right, not to add stress to it by what you watch. So generally speaking, when we, we have these kind of like feel-good go-to movies and feel-good go-to TV series when you just kind of want to turn everything off, right? And one of those feel-good movies that we go to on, uh, on, the, on occasion is, well, it's two movies. It's Father of the Bride Part 1 and Father of the Bride Part 2. And we watch that all the time with Steve Martin. In Father of the Bride Part 2, George Banks, who is played by Steve Martin, has what a lot of people his age in our country, uh, you know, have experienced or can um, really understand and identify with. He has a midlife crisis. And one of the manifestations of his midlife crisis is that he wants to sell his house, the house that, this beautiful house, this beautiful neighborhood that his family grew up in. He wants to sell it and he wants to move to Santa Monica, you know, and get a condo on the beach. And so they put it up for sale to see what will happen. One day he's outside of his house and a buyer comes. And this buyer is ready to buy his house on the spot for cash. Now, pro tip. Engaged couples or young married couples. Don't ever sell your house for cash on the spot when the buyer comes to you when you're standing outside. You don't want to talk that over with your wife, right? You're going to want to sleep on that. But he doesn't do either one of those things. He takes the offer. He takes the deal. He sells the house. They have two weeks to leave. Huge mistake. Big mistake. Lots of trouble with his wife. Just really hard. And one day as he was taking a walk to clear his head from this horrible decision that he had made, he wanders into his old neighborhood. He looks up and there is his house. But it's not the way that he remembered it. Actually, there is a wrecking ball in his front yard with the, you know, the huge wrecking ball coming back, getting ready to be released to tear this house that he loved down. And so he starts running and he puts himself between his house and the wrecking ball. Stop! No! And the new owner of the house says, what's going on, George? And he says, you can't tear my house down. He says, of course I can't. I bought it from you, remember? And so what does George Banks do? He buys his house back at a handsome profit, by the way, for the new seller. He he pays an exorbitant price for something that he loves. But... The story doesn't stop there. You see, George Banks didn't just buy that house back and leave it empty. No, they moved back in. They brought furniture in. They planted new flowers. They even restored it. They made a brand new room. They made that house even better. 
You see, that house was redeemed from destruction by the payment of an exorbitant price, and that house was restored through transformative work. This is what Paul means when he says that God lavishes his grace upon us. You see that word in verse 8, this grace that he lavishes upon us. such a beautiful word. It's sort of like God is irresponsible with his grace, you know? Like, God, if you give them too much, you never know what they might do, right? If you pour out too much grace, something really bad could happen. You're a little irresponsible with your grace. It's too much, God. But he lavishes his grace upon us. It's like the woman who anointed Jesus with the expensive perfume until it was just pouring off of him dripping you know down his nose and onto the ground Jesus will take his grace and he'll pour it all over you until you're soaked with it but he hasn't used it all up he has more he has more for any who would come to him and receive by faith that personal redemption offered in Christ. But that's not all that there is to the mystery of God. There is personal redemption, but there is also cosmic redemption. And by cosmic redemption, I mean that God is setting to rights everything that is broken. Not only our personal broken relationship with God due to us for our sin, but the whole of creation that Paul says in Romans is groaning, is yearning, is waiting to be redeemed when God brings in the fullness of his sons and his daughters. This is found in verse 10 when Paul distinguishes things in heaven and things on earth. The mystery of God is that he is going to unite everything in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, when you read those words, things in heaven and things on earth, you might get triggered in a, in a sense of like, man, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Like, things in heaven, things on earth. I feel like that might be in the Bible somewhere else, right? It is in the Bible somewhere else. And you've probably heard it before. Um, every January, when you decide that this is going to be the year that I'm going to read my Bible all the way through. And now, somewhere in mid-February, when you're in Leviticus, you stop. But that might mean that like 10 or 12 times you've read Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means God created everything. Everything that exists, God created. And everything that exists that God created is broken and marred by the effects of sin. And everything God created, things in heaven and things on earth, are going to be redeemed by the work of Christ. That's what he is bringing together. It's cosmic redemption. That's the mystery of God. The union of all things, things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. And that mystery is exactly what motivates mission. God's mission and our mission. The God of the Bible is a missionary God. 
Everything that he does is active and at his own initiative. He initiates our salvation. He comes in the person of Christ to purchase our salvation. He is seeking. He is saving. He is moving in. He is not staying away. He is incarnating himself, Jesus is, into our very flesh and into our very world. God is a missionary God. And this whole mystery in Ephesians 1 that was revealed in Christ is made possible because he was determined to go on a mission to rescue sinners from deserved judgment and wrath. So he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. He adopted us as his sons and daughters into his family. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus. All of these are actions of mission that God undertakes to make relationship with him possible. And one of the main points of the entire letter of Ephesians is this. We'll get to this. This is going to be a repeated theme all the way through. The church, not just this church, but yes, this church, but the church, all of God's people in all places at all times who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ exists, created by God, to be a community that is set apart that demonstrates in its life together and its life in the world what will be true when God unites all things together in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. You see the church, let's just talk about this church. We, Christ the King, we are a fishbowl of heaven. We're a fishbowl of heaven. When people look into us, They should see things that are true in heaven manifesting themselves here on earth now in our life together. Things like truth and things like love and things like reconciled relationships and things like beauty and things like care. But we're also the construction crew of heaven. We're the fishbowl of heaven and we're the construction crew of heaven because we take all of those things that are true in heaven and we apply them in the world in the spheres that God sends us into. We make those things true in the world. By word, we proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ to all who are lost and We proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ also by deed. See, what is broken and what is messed up in the world is going to be put back together by Jesus. There will be no more poverty, is what Paul is saying here. There will be no more racism. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more addiction. There will be no lack of educational opportunities. There will be no more orphans. There will be no widows. There will be no abuse of any kind. All of that will be wiped away. When in the fullness of time, God unites all things together in Christ. Things on earth and things in heaven. And the church, this is the awesome part. Well, that's awesome. But this is the also awesome part. The church, the church, this church, gets the privilege of being the alternative community that shows the world in microcosm what this union of all things looks like now. That's our privilege. That is why it should be followers of Jesus who attack poverty 
with the most passion. That is why it should be followers of Jesus who are on the forefront of racial reconciliation. It should be followers of Jesus who feed the hungry. It should be followers of Jesus who fight against addiction. It should be followers of Jesus who provide the highest quality educational opportunities for the poorest members of our community. It's followers of Jesus who provide homes to orphans and, and companionship and love to widows and provide justice for the abused and to the abuser. This is our privilege as the community that God has chosen and adopted and redeemed. Well, last Friday afternoon, I got an email that I'd been waiting for for the past several days. It said this, good news, your truck has been repaired and painted. And once it's reassembled and passes quality control, it'll be ready for you to pick up. You see, I got really sick of getting frustrated every time I went out to get into my car. So I went and took it to get it fixed. It's not fixed yet. I'm hoping for tomorrow. But here's the deal on this. I absolutely have zero idea whatsoever how to fix the lock of my truck. I could not do this, right? I don't know how to take the door off a truck and to take it apart and to remove a block, uh, a, a, a broken locking mechanism from somewhere in its depths and then to put it back together and to paint it and to uh, install it. And I don't know how to do any of those things. But there are people who do. There are people who do know how to fix it and to make it better. You see, my truck will not always be broken. Skilled workers will repair it. And this world will not always be broken. Your life will not always be broken. God himself will make all things new in Christ. All things new in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for that work of redemption that you are undertaking even now having sent your Son into this world to, to redeem us, to forgive us from all of our trespasses by his blood shed on the cross. We pray that we would experience that redemption and also take it out with us into the world as your church who has the privilege of, by word and by deed, showing what is true in heaven among us and outside of us now. In Jesus' name, amen.